the wiggles out, all right? Yeah. Come all of you good workers, good news to you I'll tell Of how that good old union has come in here to dwell Which side are you on? 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 week of august uh, this is sean in salt lake city this is chris in brooklyn the smoke break for sisyphus podcast uh podcast began by two old friends and former communists to discuss radical politics and to uh, argue over less radical topics uh what's going on oh uh, you know uh fresh off this i've decided uh of all the groups uh that is on twitter uh, I'm suddenly getting followed. I had a, this morning I had an argu- an argument, right? I thought a very civil discussion, uh, with mm-hmm. a, well, like, a you know, these, these communist types. Uh, and now yeah. I'm getting followed, uh, I'm getting followed by a bunch of weird communists. So of all the groups of the unsavory, uh, demographics of, uh, Twitter, the only group that I am now, well, actually there's two groups, uh, the the two groups that I am now uh, blocking on site are mm-hmm. uh, intactivists. That's the first one, right? You remember that one, right? Are what? It, yeah, are you not familiar? Intactivists. These are people that are uh, very sad about their penises. Oh, God. yeah. Uh, that was the first group that I had to just. <laughs> I had to just listen. If, if that's in your if that's in your profile, I'm not going to let you follow me. Right. And now it's uh, communists. I can't let communists follow me on uh, on Twitter anymore. So if you are communist, so well, because you know they're 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 following me. Well, this is their this is their campaign tactic for Bernie Sanders, which is to harass <laughs> and and irritate uh, primary voters. Uh, I guess into supporting Bernie Sanders. I, I feel like it's probably uh, not a very good strategy. Well, I remember the standard Communist Party line. Uh, at least it was true for the 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 Trotskyists of the world. Was that Bernie Sanders was a was a faux socialist? He was a a bourgeois plant. Apparently, they move beyond that. Apparently, Sanders has gotten revolutionary enough that they're on board. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, I mean, there are still like really intense. <laughs> I mean, you could you could call them discussions right but it's mostly just people yelling at each other and talking about their uh how how stupid their facial hair is if they have facial hair uh about the um the benefits of electoralism versus uh just pure revolution 
uh, from a bunch oh, of yeah. doughy grad students. It's really, it's right. really funny. <laughs> It's like it's like you know and you know so this morning I I, I there you know there was this conversation I'm you know that I like to I I'm a big uh, Kamala Harris supporter. Uh, uh-huh. That being said, right, uh, we you, the the role that like the cult of personality is playing in 2016 is really upsetting, right? If Kamala Harris loses, yeah. which is which is entirely possible, right? She's not polling super great. Like I'm not going to fucking tear my hair out and refuse to vote for anybody else, right? Uh, right. But. Uh, the cults that are developing around, I think, specifically the two uh, farthest left candidates. Uh, I mean, this is more of a Bernie problem than a Warren problem. Uh, but it is it is like they uh, they cannot brook any kind of dissent when it comes to when it comes to their person. And they get to get really fucking nasty. So we were having this conversation and this 20 year old communist <laughs> decides mm-hmm. uh, that he is going to uh, like it got to a point where I was, I was, you know, using my my usual uh, gaslighting that I like to do with communists and explain to them that you're like you're in a cult, right? Uh, and if if your leader uh, cannot fail, but can only be failed, then you should that should give you pause, right? <laughs> that should give you pause right. that like this is this is beyond politics. I saw a fucking meme yesterday. It blew my mind, right? It was like a, a picture of like Bernie, like a Bernie crowd with all the, the blue signs, right? Uh, and it said, yeah. the greatest gift he gave us was each other. Jesus. And it's holy shit. A, politicians don't give gifts, right? <laughs> They're not. Like if, if, you're, if you're expecting uh, uh, your favorite uh, politician to be like f- throwing gifts off of his... Uh, like that's what Genghis Khan did. Like that's that's not really uh, what uh, is supposed to happen in democracy. Uh, I'm very <laughs> concerned about it. Like this morning has been a it's been a, a real eye opener to me how really yeah. far down the rabbit hole we we are with this stuff, and it's 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 unsettling. Yeah. It's gotten it's gotten so much worse than the last time he ran. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't anything like this in 2016. No. Um, if anything, one, he framed himself as something entirely different. He was pretending, which is stupid in retrospect, because we all knew who Bernie Sanders was, right? We knew he was the fucking crazy person from Vermont. But he, he sort of framed himself as like, I'm running on a Truman platform. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring back the old New Deal Democrats. Yeah. Come. Yeah. You he really did. Yeah. I mean, and then... And then you're like, oh no. Well, I mean, no, no, no. This guy's a. We can. Nut. I think we can both admit this. That I think we both uh, voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary. Yeah. I felt bad about it immediately. Immediately, yeah, I, I walked out. Uh, and you know, me and my wife, uh, we vacillated a lot. Uh, we had considered ourselves at least like you know moderate socialists for a very long time. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, I think my wife said that she she cried on the way out because she. You know, she had the opportunity to vote for a woman and then chose not to. Uh, so we both, I think, uh, uh, when that was over, we both uh, became very, very adamant uh, Hillary supporters. Yeah. yeah. most A lot of that was out of guilt uh, f- for making a very stupid uh, yeah. voting booth decision. Uh, we did not cry because we did and continue to loathe Hillary Clinton with every shred of our being. You don't continue to but, love Hillary Clinton. You uh, were telling me two days ago that no, she should run. No, I did. You fucking asshole. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If I could if I could get her to run again, I certainly would. I would, uh, if I had to do all over again, I would um, certainly support her. But I know, 
uh, I would hate her. Uh, and I think that's fine. I think it's fine to hate your president. In fact, uh, you know, back then I used to think that, um, and I think one of the major changes in my political outlook, I used to think presidents were supposed to be a kind of moral avatar that you should all rally around. Oh, that's cute. You know, they, they should all be John F. Kennedy, right? They should all be the, the poster children of the American uh, way of life, and we should love them like we love our own parents. And now I've gotten very used to the idea that the president should just be some asshole that for the <laughs> most part we despise, and we keep on an exceptionally short leash, but uh, we have some expectations. They do a very, they do a hard job well, and that's it. And uh, after four to eight years, when we're done with them, we throw them out and never talk to them again. And I think that's, uh, I think that's the way that's supposed to be. Um, I didn't think that at the time. I have completely changed my mind on the subject. I mean, I would like a president that I could just have like no opinion about, like that I could like sort of just live. <laughs> I could, like, go through my life. Obama was very much that president for me, right? Like, I didn't love everything he did. I didn't hate everything he did. Uh, he was a dude that... And I've, I've said this before on this podcast. Like, the presidency is not a fucking job you're going to ace. No one's ever going to be a great... Great president... It's, it's an impossible job, right? Uh, one, because right. The, the standards by which you judge uh, any president are going to be relative to the person making the judgment, right? So I'm going to judge Reagan, for instance, as human garbage, Right, that was that was uh, thrown and thrown away like he was supposed to have been. Which, well, you know, you might have a different uh, different way of looking at no, the, the presidency of Reagan. I think of, of Reagan, Reagan as the uh, as the racist baby boomer we needed at that moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you know, I don't I don't feel a lot of responsibility for Reagan. He wasn't. He was a, he, was a, he was president when I was uh, a, a baby, right? So I don't. He wasn't. He wasn't the racist we deserved. He was the racist we needed right yeah. now. That's what Ronald Reagan was. Yeah, so well that's been uh that's been my morning is uh dealing blocking dealing with communists. Yeah. I don't uh I don't pick up really commies. I yeah. pick up like uh good meaning but otherwise silly Bernie supporters. And they're they're not uh they're not bad people. I don't have these bad experiences, but you go fucking nut picking. You go and look for the craziest fucking people you can find. And start an argument. I like that. I like nut picking. Uh, I would say, uh, uh, I would say this. <laughs> I'm getting a message from uh, from uh, a friend of the podcast who apparently jumped into the thread that I was just in. Okay, uh, so so here's the thing, right? Uh, Kamala Harris uh, attracts a lot of that attention, right? Because I think uh, Kamala Harris is a very serious candidate uh, who has uh, black support, which communists don't have. Uh, and they have a really good attack line, right? The Kamala is a cop thing is sure. sticky. Uh, it, it won't, yeah. it wouldn't be sticky in a general election, not e not even a little bit. Uh, no. But it's sticky in a primary because right now uh, the Democratic Party justifiably is is concerned with uh, prison reform. Uh, but Kamala Harris's record as a as as a DA and as an AG are, are fairly good, right? No one's gonna no one's gonna come out of that job smelling like roses, but if if that's their fucking judgment, wait until uh, Bernie Sanders finishes his first four years as president and hasn't done shit. Like, what's uh, what's going to happen when Bernie Sanders has to fire his first cruise missile? Uh, well, I mean, um, for starters, hopefully Bernie Sanders will fire his first cruise missile. Uh, I've been I've been very impressed with the ability of Trump to avoid international responsibility. Not impressed in a good way, but like impressed in a. Uh, 
I didn't think a president could do that. Like, I didn't think a president could be this fucking irresponsible. I thought there would be some kind of, like... I mean, it, it sort of pulls the plug on the military-industrial complex conspiracy, right? I mean, it's... Uh, uh, clearly, the president is actually the one running the show, and when you elect a president who's utterly incompetent and is a basically a child when it comes to living up to responsibilities you can you can see that happen i i think bernie sanders could go years basically doing nothing but smiling and waving while dictators and yeah islamofascists and uh white supremacist groups of various kinds and uh, communist militants uh, burn the world down yeah yeah i think he would be he would be fine <laughs> doing that because he like trump is a totally personally irresponsible egomaniac who cares about his brand and about his own personal glory above all else all the time yeah but uh you know that's something to look forward yeah. to. yeah it'll be interesting from a political science standpoint uh yeah i mean it's always nice to have more research material uh it'll be very important uh when we're trying to figure out how the world ended right it's good to have primary source research uh yeah so i mean but that's you know listen all of this is really uh i mean this is de rigueur right uh anything else so anything else happening like uh i I was convinced last week that uh uh they we were about to see another tiananmen square uh in hong kong uh but that hasn't really materialized well Last I checked, the uh, protesters have taken to pulling down the facial recognition towers and uh, smashing the cameras. <laughs> you know, uh, you might have gotten to a point, and the hope is that we've gotten to a point in which China is integrated enough into the international community that driving tanks into protesters is no longer a viable political move for them. I don't know, man. Right. Uh, well, I'm just saying that that's the hope. I'm not saying that's yeah. necessarily yeah, true. I, don't, I, I think that's I don't, a long I, shot, I, but it's true. I nice. see, uh, I mean, even when the United States was a present force in the world, right, under the, uh, uh-huh. uh, wait, what, Tiananmen was what year? Was that 89? 80? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was, sure it, was. was it 89? Uh, so that was definitely, I mean, we're talking, what, uh, Herbert Walker? Was that in 89? Uh, yeah, that's yes, yeah, uh, Herbert Walker. Uh, America was present in the world. Right, and it didn't prevent uh, Hong. It didn't prevent uh, that kind of crackdown. Well, we're not pre- present we're not in present the world, in the world was... the way we were, right? Uh, and right now, like we, it's been proven that uh, we will draw red lines in Syria and ignore the shit out of them. It's proven that we'll uh, ignore Russian aggression in Europe uh, without yep. without really interfering. I don't see the international community as particularly. Uh, eager to rein in China's uh, uh, human rights abuses. Okay, well, here's my here's my counter argument. Yeah. Um, 1989, uh, the United States was completely involved in the collapse of the Eastern Bloc, right? Um, and we were also involved, or we would become involved in the very near future with the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait, right? So we have big things going on in the world that aren't China. The other thing is that China did not begin the process of liberalization and interconnection with the rest of the economy until 1996. So seven years after Tiananmen. Now we're in a position in which we have had 23 years of integration with the rest of the globe and a Chinese economy that is uh, just completely integrated. I mean, it is a very globalized nation And I don't think that the 
communist inner circle wants to go back to a place in which they're, you know, praying for a good local harvest so people don't starve. Yeah. And well, I, uh, I, there is, you, there is practical You're talking about a regime that, like, acts according to, like, uh, I think, common understanding of China five years ago. Right, which is it's a regime that one. I mean, you talk about communist inner circles. I would I would almost argue that 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 is uh, an outmoded, an outdated way of thinking about China, since we have a president for life there now. Right, I think that the uh, role of the sort of the ruling oligarchy has become significantly more narrow, right, in terms of decision making. If if uh, if Xi wants to just do it, he's gonna fucking do it. Well, yeah, but it seems apparent that he doesn't. Right, well, it's apparent that he's trying to he's trying to wait them out. Do, have you heard that uh, it's um, now illegal uh, to compare him to Winnie the Pooh? Because <laughs> <laughs> apparently on Chi- Chinese social media, that was the uh, the meme is that he looks a little like Winnie the Pooh, and now it, now uh, it is illegal. Uh, it is illegal <laughs> if you caught if you're caught comparing him to Winnie the Pooh, like they'll 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 fine you. Can you imagine how much Donald Trump would love oh to be able to pass God, a law like oh that? God. Well, he, he, the first thing a... he said when he came into office was he was talking about trying to fix libel law, fix libel laws. Yeah, right. right. So he could sue people who said nasty things about mm. him. I was I was speaking to someone, um, uh, this this kind of nut on. Well, I don't know. He might be he might be perfectly nice, but he has some nutty political ideas uh, about. Uh, he was uh, he was one of those people that when you say something about Donald Trump, they want you to prove facts, even though it's it's just obvious. You know what I mean? Uh, so I was he was claiming to be both a nationalist and a libertarian. Cool. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, that's a, that's that's two two great tastes that taste great together, right there. <laughs> uh, and he. Uh, he was he was trying to tell me that Donald Trump was not a statist, right, and that he was um, he was he was the pathway to a freer, better society. When was this? Was and this just, before or after he demanded American companies stop doing business with China? It was it was minutes <laughs> later. <laughs> the argument was was happening uh, because of that. Yeah. Oh, that that's oh, in- interesting. Okay. Which which was maddening, but I mean, like you can think of situations in which this this like uh, dollar store authoritarian that we have as president would would love to have the power to do things like ban criticism, of mm-hmm. it, right? Um, and just the idea that people who the the way that people are able to still his supporters are still able to say to themselves, well, this is, this man is a great American in the great American tradition. Uh, it's just so it's so fucking weird. I, it just it that cult of personality takes away any faith that you have in sort of the rational American voter. I mean, I know the majority of people aren't that kind of Trump supporter, but still, it's it's. I've never been more convinced that uh, the executive just needs to be neutered as much as possible. I mean, that's got to be like the big takeaway, right? Is that if uh, if anything, having experienced. Uh, let's say a a low functioning authoritarian, one that you know is yeah. is either too old, too dumb, or too senile to really uh, understand. Like, he, he's he he can't manipulate the system in the same way that someone perhaps more savvy would be. The big takeaway for any side of the spectrum is like decentralizing power is a good thing. 
Yeah. I mean, there can't, I can't, I can't imagine unless you're uh, an idiot Bernie supporter, right? Um, there's a little bit of this on the Warren supporter side. Warren, uh, Warren is a fan of a big executive and I just can't believe that people are gravitating to that idea after dealing with Trump. Cause even if you think Warren's going to be incredible as a big executive, right? She's not going to be in office for the rest of the millennium. Yeah you're going to end up getting a different person. And imagine some of the powers that Elizabeth Warren seems to think the executive should have being in the hands yeah. of Trump. Especially as Crazy. we are now uh, firmly ensconced in the era of revenge politics, right? Uh, oh, yeah. If you are a, a Democratic president coming into office after Donald Trump, uh, you should expect yeah. blood sport, right? Uh, and if you, ha <laughs> if you happen to lose your following election, uh, you really should expect that anything you did... Uh, uh, solely as an executive function will be immediately overturned, right? Uh, o Obama right. having, I mean, his really his only lasting accomplishment uh, because after 2010, uh, he, he couldn't get legislation passed. So his only accomplishment yeah. really is, is, is Obamacare. And like, that's something that, I mean, every, everybody fucking hates it for a different reason, right? But it's what's, it's the it's the the universe of the possible versus the uh, you know utopian nonsense that everyone seems convinced of. Uh, the only one, the only person who seems to like Obamacare is me. Yeah, I seem to be Listen, the only advocate left of the. Well, ACA. That's, that's, that's what and, pisses uh, me off is that like you know uh, there hasn't been a defense of the of the provisions of it right uh, because the left has refused to really uh, claim ownership. Right. There's been there's well, been no real resistance to it just being chipped away and making it less and less and less effective as a as a healthcare model. Well, it's not a I mean, the left hates it because it's not a left wing model. Yeah. That was all premise. The idea that Barack Obama had essentially was that he could pass what was historically a Republican idea um, and just get it sort of make it as progressive as he could. And it is it is frustratingly progressive, the ACA. But the basic idea of the ACA is great, and it's a um, it's a very you know if you're very very interested in creating institutions that displace rather than further socialism, the ACA is the perfect model. Um, it maintains it, it, it maintains private health insurance and a, a, a non-monopolized uh, healthcare system. And, but at the same time, it removes many of the arguments that sort of Medicare for all people have to try to, uh, to nationalize yeah. the system. Well, I mean, when you talk about, I mean, when you talk about uh, the arguments that M4A people have, uh, I mean, they seem like they have never, ever followed how legislation is passed, right? Because mm. they, they make these like grandiose claims. Uh, that like Medicare for all is going to cover everybody. Everyone's going to get uh, the highest levels of care, uh, and there will right. be zero trade-offs, right? Uh, yeah. and, and if and if they do, they do surveys, they do uh, polls or whatever where they uh, they explain it like that, right? And then right. They, they the next question they ask is, "But we're going to get rid of private insurance? It fucking tanks, right? Uh, and it's it's that's and people's oh people love their insurance. That's not the fucking point, right? The the point." The reason it tanks is because you have introduced reality into your fucking fantasy, right? This is what it actually <laughs> looks like, right? Uh, fucking uh, uh, people who argue for, for Medicare for All, it's like they're watching Sleeping Beauty 
right? And they think it's super romantic. Like, they don't watch the rest of the movie where the woman wakes up and is like, uh, now we have to be married for 30 years, right? This person you've never fucking met, right? There are there are trade-offs to this thing. They don't They don't even try to deal with the consent issues. It, it is, yeah. Oh, my God. Break. Well, you know, my wife does... Uh, <laughs> She's studied at Harvard. She has studied uh, fairy, fa- fairy, like fairy tales, right, uh, and how they're constructed. And so she's read like a lot of the uh, the original versions of those stories. Uh, it wasn't a kiss that woke up <laughs> that woke up the Sleeping Beauty. Uh, she woke up pregnant. <laughs> All right. So yeah, consent issues like a motherfucker. The the point is like Medicare for all is it, it is a fantasy that they're selling as policy, and you can it's the same thing as the Green New Deal. Like what about the Green New? It's fucking fourteen pages. That's not legislation. And as legislation goes through Congress, right? Uh, each one of those uh, those people have to go home and justify how they voted. Like your your shit's not gonna happen. It's just not gonna happen. And like uh, you can blame anyone you want. Uh, in order to get it done, you need more authoritarianism, and that's not a, that's not a trade off. I think most Americans are willing to make, right? That that yeah. that itself is the complication, right? The complication is not fucking insurance, right? No one loves their insurance. That's not it. It's the fact that no one's going to have a choice but to be in one fucking system, right? And that um, that's a profound problem, yeah. and it becomes a more profound problem when. You know, suddenly um, when Donald Trump or the next Donald Trump gets elected and you say, oh, shit, we have an idiot as president. Now you also have to say, oh, shit, I have an idiot who has monopoly control over my health care. Yeah. Or birth control uh, or a medically necessitated abortion or uh, let's see, um, what are the millions of other things that you'd have to worry about? what if you uh, the Democrats decide to elect someone who thinks that vaccines give autism? Yeah, well, then, you know, like we're uh, going to stop covering. Uh, that's what that's one of the really funny ones. Uh, like, you know, big farm is too involved in like, they make like 30 cents on these vaccines. They make nothing. nothing on these things. Like, this is not profit. Has to be, right. I mean, like vaccines have to be. I mean, uh, uh, oh God, I mean, if it wasn't for this is one of the things that there needs to be some kind of public subsidy for healthcare because things like vaccines, they just don't you just wouldn't have them unless uh, essentially uh, public non for profits wanted to pay for them because the 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 profit margins on them are non-existent. Yeah, you're not you're not making, you're not making money on it. Uh, yeah, I mean you can't do it. So it's um, it's a it's a it's a frustrating reality. There's actually a, a, a there is a problem with getting newer, m- more updated vaccines on the market because there's less research and development because there just isn't the incentive there. Yeah. Uh, the idea that they're making huge money and that they're doing this, by the way, by voluntarily giving children autism. That's the other thing <laughs> I just love. Uh, yeah. Like the idea that, uh, you know, uh, like. Uh, these these well-educated like medical uh, researchers and scientists are just these the worst imaginable amoral people on the planet uh it's just weird it's a weird idea i mean but that's we are in the age where weird ideas uh get picked up on twitter and like fly out into the world and uh when you question them you're told to do your research you know but yeah, I mean that's that's that and that's and that's that's the big problem. So uh, I just got a question uh, 
from a friend of the show that I thought might be fun okay. to kind of dig into for our second half here. So I had told uh, someone on – it doesn't matter uh, – that that I understand, uh, and basically it's just sort of an old, it's a, a tweak on the old, uh, I guess it probably was in Churchill, but, you know, if you are a communist at 20, right, uh, yeah. I understand a 20-year-old communist. I totally understand. I was a yeah. 20-year-old communist. Like, a 20-year-old uh, doesn't, they're like, there's all kinds of reasons we don't need to go into. So I said, uh, but I don't know what to do with a 45-year-old anarchist. Like, I don't know... Like, how to, how to process that. So I said, it's childish. So a friend of the show uh, was very offended because a friend of the show is uh, an anarcho-pacifist, right? Yeah. Uh, and he, he posited this, this question. Uh, that I, I think it'd be fun to dig into. He says, uh, how is it that uh, um, uh, you can call uh, anarchism childish, uh, but not American exceptionalism? Uh-huh. Yeah. So... He, what, what do you, how could we, uh, as the smoke break for Sisyphus, how can we call, and I think you'll agree, right, that a 45-year-old anarchist, like, there's something. Uh, how, uh, how do you, how do you, how do you do that? What, what, what do you, how do you, how do you want to respond to that? Well, I mean, they're not, um, they're, uh, it's a bit like comparing apples and oranges, yeah. right? American exceptionalism is a, to say America is exceptional is a is a defensible qualitative statement about a set of events that actually exists whereas anarchism is a um it's a it's a bizarre pathology right it's it's a it's an imaginary world that you're advocating for and you're willing to do material harm to the real world to try to get something that will never exist it's it's not the same you know it's like saying how you know how can you criticize uh, how can you criticize anarchism but still say that orange juice tastes good? <laughs> they're not, they're not the same. It's not the same sort of statement, right? So, uh, America is an actual thing that exists. It has actual, tangible, material consequences. This thing that exists, and you can uh, kind of evaluate and argue what those, what the meaning and repercussion of those, uh, you know, tangible um, effects are. Anarchism is a non-state. It it doesn't yeah. it doesn't exist. It's never existed. It doesn't even exist in the primordial soup, right, of human experience. Yeah, that's never anarchism. Yeah, it's, ne- it's never been. Yeah. It's never. I mean, you know, as as humans, uh, there has never been a uh, a social structure, either traditional or otherwise, that yeah. isn't somewhat hierarchical, right? It just isn't. Uh, uh, right. Anarchists, um, I think it, it comes back from sort of the Rousseauian myth of the noble savage. This idea that... A racist a, fucking myth, by the way. It's racist and right. racist and shit. Right? These, a lot of that is, a lot of like that sort of projecting on traditional societies, like these desires of, of, right. of the West to tear down their systems. So you have a, I mean, we know what societies that don't have law and law enforcement, societies that have broken down right failed states in which property rights really don't exist or unenforceable we know what they look like they're not our you know uh anarchic utopias they're uh they're roving hellscapes mm-hmm. in which uh competing despots kill each other over territory well anarchism it's, just it's doesn't exist. hobbes is the only one that ever really got anarchy right right 
is that life yeah. in the state of like you know life in the state of nature is uh, nasty, brutish, and short. Like there's never been any evidence to the contrary. We would uh, the Smoke Break for Sisyphus podcast official position on Hobbes. By the way, uh, he got he got anarchy right. He got the solution wrong. Oh, okay. So just, uh, so everyone knows. Uh, well, it's, it, it, listen. It was an extreme reaction to. Uh, you know, anarchy. I, but that goes to show, right, is that, you know, when we're talking about Hobbes, Hobbes uh, came of age during the most, one of the most violent periods in British history, right, uh, mm-hmm. where every institution uh, that people had looked toward had been delegitimized, uh, attacked, uh, violated, beheaded, right? Uh, and I, I'm not saying this as a monarchist. I think that the I think it did England good to chop off a head, right? Charles the first. Uh, after Charles the first, Charles the second was uh, much more willing to listen to Parliament, right? <laughs> uh, right. But if you the the greatest thinker the that you could say was produced from that period of the, of the English Civil War basically said uh, anarchy is so fucking terrible that the only solution is to create an all powerful government to make sure people aren't terrible. I don't. Uh, I don't know how anyone who understands, which our friend does. Our friend understands. He's familiar with history, but I don't understand how anyone who is familiar with history can be anything other than uh, a small R Republican. I don't. Uh, we can argue about what that should look like. We can have lots of arguments about what role the state should play within that small R republic. But it's very difficult to for me. And indeed, difficult in the world because most, uh, shall we say, civilized uh, to be slightly uh, uh, well define your you know define your terms like what what are we what are we every uh, you know every developed free integrated society globally integrated society on the planet is some form of republican government, even if it still has a monarchy as a figurehead. The actual day-to-day business. <coughs> Sorry, I had to cough my lungs yeah. up. Yeah, I'm fighting off. Something. The actual day-to-day business of lawmaking and enforcement um, is done by a Republican government. Uh, they're great, right? They can be uh, anything from, I mean, whatever flavor of Republicanism you want, you can get. The idea that somebody's saying no, Republicanism is inherently flawed. We need to have something even more mm. radical in order to achieve true human happiness. That person is just being, I don't know. I don't know what they are. I don't know how really to confront them because something, there's something going on in, in kind of their, their psychology that's, that's, they're either way too optimistic about the nature of uh, uh, human behavior or they're way too pessimistic and want to burn it all down. So, so the, the, the core of this question, though, right, is this source of that optimism, right? So I had I I had said that the the source of this optimism, this optimism behind human nature that is entirely unwarranted, uh, mm-hmm. is there something immature about it, right? Is there something childish about it? Uh, I I think that there is. I think that uh, you know my lived experience is that uh, I was willing to try and tell myself even living in like new york city uh in my 20s uh living through 9 11 uh really sort of immersing myself in the human condition 
I would I would tell myself all the time, right? That oh, you know, if you just get rid of that sort of uh, the 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 state uh, <laughs> being the source of all human malady, right? Once you mm. just like either seize that or dissolve it all together, human beings would just be cool, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and that's sort of like the foundation you have to accept. Uh, and it's I think it's one that uh, I only I think aged out of. Uh, I mean, I guess it, I I often try to like uh, you know like pinpoint the moment where I have said, well, okay, well, this is, uh, is I think I studied it was I mean it's obviously in college right where you study sort of the nature of the international uh, system, and realize that it's it is a series of uh, horrible horrible people that will. Uh, uh, basically do anything it can do in order to expand its own thing, right? So if there's not a counterweight, then they would just keep doing it, right? And so, you know, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to say it, but I think that that requires a level of like saying, I can't really tell myself this anymore, right? Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, for me, I went through kind of phases of regression on this topic, as well you know when i uh because i my initial sense that uh, everything i had sort of trained myself to believe might not be totally correct was when uh, i had joined the u.s military and i actually got out into uh, uh the fleet and i became aware of like the actual intelligence we had on other countries and the actual threat that uh, dictatorships posed and suddenly I started thinking to myself well you know we had trained ourselves to believe the United States was the source of all problems in the universe right uh, the US basically invented war around 1812 and they had been pushing it off on the rest yeah. of the planet ever yeah. since and uh, when you when you actually get out there and find out that other nations are themselves rational actors that they have their own agendas that the United States is not in absolute control of the planet uh, that when you start to see the difference between dictatorship and free society firsthand and you start to become painfully aware of how good and how privileged you actually are to be an American, uh, that, that changed my mind a lot. But then I went through, uh, after I got out and I was dealing with um, some pretty serious emotional problems, I found myself regressing into radical politics almost as a really? kind of... Yeah. Almost, it was, uh, you know, it, it's much in the same way, because I've tried a lot of religious Yeah, I was going to say, it's a comeback, comeback, com you know, they, the, the yeah. statistic they throw it at us is that, like, uh, something like 40% of Mormons that leave the church eventually return, so, you know. Uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it's a way to uh, try to uh, ameliorate, I think is the correct word, you're the, you're the English yeah, uh, major. absolutely, it's a great word. Uh, ameliorate uh, uh, emotional problems. Um, by, I think, kind of uh, taking them out of the micro and the personal and putting them into the the broader narrative of your life. And uh, I don't think it's healthy. So I don't think people should in this do it, but I understand In why this period do. of, uh, like, what you have yourself have called, like, regression, right? Yeah. How did you see your, your Navy self? Like, how did you project back? Yeah. Well, what I did was... Um, uh, now, I don't mean how did you get yourself back to that position. I'm saying when you were in that sort of that other space, right, all the opinions yeah. you held, right, uh, when you were in the Navy, uh, how did you perceive those? Like, what reasoning, what rationale did you give yourself for having right. developed those ideas? 
So what you do is you start to uh, search for kind of a synthesis. So instead yeah. of, you know, instead of saying to yourself, um, uh, oh, my goodness, the United States is very clearly a force for good in the world. Uh, you say, well, the United States is still, um, you know, it's still a, a pawn of the global capitalist system. But you can see how some pawns are better than others. And um, the United States is the lesser of two evils. It becomes a lesser of two evils approach. Um, the United States is still wicked, but it's less wicked than, um, no, I don't know, Iran, yeah. for example. Uh, I see a lot of this in the Socialist Democrats, mm -hmm. right? I see a lot of it in, in Bernie supporters where they say to themselves, well, America is... A big piece of shit, but it's redeemable enough that if we could get into the White House, we could fix it. Um, that's uh, that's yeah. a problem. One of the things that I think is common about all radicals uh, of any age, and coming back to your immaturity point, is that uh, I think children, because they are immature, uh, they don't deal well with ambiguity. They don't do well with paradox. They don't deal well with imperfection. Uh, and they don't deal well with the idea that there are no grand solutions. And part of becoming an adult is accepting those things, is accepting that there are conundrums that can't be solved, that there are people and problems that can't be fixed. And to learn to live with... Uh, temporary good enough type situations like coming to terms with the fact that everything is um essentially unstable and impermanent yeah. that you're gonna die that all your friends are gonna die that things that you think are really important are not going to be important to people 50 years from now uh this is really hard for the immature mind to grasp yeah. i mean listen that uh, shit that shit's you... hard for anyone to grasp right uh, uh, I mean. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, it strikes me as like when you think about uh, philosophies, I, I think one of the best words I learned in grad school was theological, right? A, and a, a theological idea is one that assumes that they're like, uh, if you implement this plan, this will be the assured outcome, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's this, I have found like sort of existentialism in its understanding that reality is created every second by those people living in it. That is a very valuable way of understanding why uh, Marxism is a stupid thing, right? Why really any theological philosophy, like if we just get rid of this, then this will happen. Why that's just a very stupid thing because uh, people aren't automatons, right? Uh, people are just fucking people living in reality, right? And reality, uh, it doesn't understand the idea of, of, perfect, of perfection, right? It, it, it just is, right? And it, it's decomposition and it's death and it's, uh, it's all of these really difficult things for sentient life to accept, right? Uh, you can't imagine being dead. You, you just can't do it. So to say, yeah, even, even people who are very, very smart uh, sort of embrace silly ideas because of uh, really a, like just sprinting away from mortality. I, uh, uh, I think most of... A significant amount of the stupid things that people do in the world are, are a product of existential yeah. dread. Uh, it is the, it is the uh, independent variable that causes people, very intelligent and otherwise very rational people, to behave in very irrational ways. 
And it's particularly bad amongst the young because they have not even begun to deal yeah. with the realities of impermanence and mortality. Um, Oof. This or, conversation got dark. <laughs> I know it did. But I, I do. So I basically, think, communists, you know, communists are communists because though. they're afraid of death, right? Well, they're, they're, uh, I don't think, you know, as you get older, it stops being about your own death and starts being about the death of the people around you. Yeah. Like existential dread and not even the death. I mean, like you have to, people, you know, you and I love the United States, right? We think it's great. The American Republic's going to die someday. It's not going to be here forever. Um, it will hopefully be in a thousand years, but it, it's, it's going yeah. to die someday. It's going to be gone. Uh, that sort of idea is, I mean, when everything that you think, know, and love is not only going to die, but is going to be erased completely because no future generation can ever really experience your life like you experienced it. That's, uh, that's a heavy trip and people do weird fucking shit when they have to confront it. And I think that's, you know, this is one of my problems with the new atheists when they talk about religion is that they sort of think of it as a kind of miseducation. Like, only if these people had the right scientific facts, they wouldn't be involved in religion anymore. And that's not the point. The point is is that uh, people are a part of religion for a lot of very good cultural reasons, right? But also because uh, existential dread is big. It's real. It's dark. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> and religion, uh, every culture on the planet has some kind of religion because... Uh, aside from passing down norms in cultural institutions, religion also uh, is a solve. Uh, it is a pain reliever against the pain of oblivion and um, impermanence. So, good luck. Yeah. That. Well, you know, socialism is the end of history, so everyone's going to live forever. Oh, well, course. because we'll have M4A. So, right. <laughs> that's basically going to we'll solve cure death. death. Right, that's one of the horrible, and I I, I refuse to make the argument because I I like to think I'm a little bigger than that, but like, people come on and they say that like, my sister died of cancer, like, uh, you know, my my mother has lupus, and it's like, bro, like, they're still going to die, right? Like, like we have to to accept like these basic rules of of life, like, you know... You know, an existentialist, uh, and I, I, I haven't—I don't think I understood this until my late thirties. Uh, the reason they're all so depressed all the time is that you're ca- like the, that is the only end to this. Everything here is essentially meaningless because it's all right. going to be dust, and there's no one taking score. Right. Well, it's also why uh, eventually all the great existentialists uh, sell out. Yeah run off and join some, you know, Kierkegaard, uh, his solution was to become a Christian. Uh, Nietzsche uh, fucking drank himself into annihilation. Yeah. Uh, Heidegger became a Nazi, and Sartre became a Stalinist. Oh, he was, so they all stop. End up, I I, they all end up failing Sartre out. Sartre was not a Stalinist. He died He did, he did, he died. I mean, he was a big supporter of the Cuban Revolution right up to the... Uh, Right up to the yeah. end, but I, I have, but so I have a soft. All... Listen, these, these are people. When we look back uh, on people, especially of that generation, right? They lived through horrors that would be unimaginable today, right? Uh, to be right. occupied by the Nazis, to be surrounded by uh, uh, the dissolution of a, a thousand-year-old civilization, like that's that's some rough shit, right? 
I can forgive him for for confronting right. his own well, existential dread with some sort of silly utopian thinking. The point is that nobody ever nobody nobody lives their life in good faith. Yeah, yeah. everyone to a certain Absolutely. extent has to deal. Well, let's for listeners uh, that don't understand what that means, explain explain good faith, right? Because that was one of if so, if if right. if you came away with any sort of like uh, path to living, uh, Sartre was not trying to mm-hmm. give you one, but like. He did talk about good faith, right? Right. So the premise of good faith, so the so at least in Sartrean existentialism, right? Um, if I may call it mm. that. Uh, Sartesian? The premise uh, is that Sartesian yeah. is probably the correct, uh, like Sartrean. Yeah. Um, but uh, the premise is that there is no intrinsic meaning to life, that you are ultimately completely responsible for building your own reality and your own meaning. And that an individual is fine to make that meaning whatever they want, mm. right? As so long as they admit to themselves and admit to the world that this uh, grand meta narrative they've created for themselves is ultimately empty of intrinsic meaning and it only has value for their own subjective uh, reasons, right? So you can, you know, you can build a religion for yourself because it makes you feel good and it helps you get through the day. But if you uh, go out and try to rewrite children's uh, science textbooks to match your religion, that's operating Very in bad, bad faith. faith. That's yeah. you going beyond uh, sort of subjective reality, playing with subjective reality and going into a point where you're sort of making uh, unsubstantiated claims about your meta narrative being actually true in yeah. an objective way. That, that was that was an but, excellent explanation, by the way. That was very well done. Thanks, yeah. buddy. The problem, of course, is that um, I don't know if anyone noticed Heidegger, good existentialist, became a Nazi, yeah. and the Nazis were kind of operating in bad faith. <laughs> I think it's fair to say. Yeah. I know. And a lot of people do this uh, because the operating in good faith sort of. Playing a game with reality, which we all do, but then admitting to yourself and the rest of the world that all you're doing is a game and essentially it's meaningless is something that doesn't quite allow you to escape existential dread, right? So even these very enlightened thinkers who pioneered the whole premise of existentialism, they all failed out. Uh, Nietzsche is the closest one who died being an existentialist, yeah. and he died horrible. <laughs> oh, well, he was syphilis, right? He had a, uh, the key. I think, I th- uh, I think he was one of these. I think he's one of these. You know, they didn't quite know what it was yet, and it was uh, it was go- it was going it was probably it was going after his brain, or or it was uh, severe neurological decay from excessive drinking. Wait, um, wait that can wait that can like do that. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, Nietzsche, or Nietzsche was schizophrenic to begin with. Which is that's a good possibility, right? Like uh, yeah. uh, his stuff is wild shit. I could see that coming out of a, yeah. a schizophrenic person. Yeah, yeah. He could have been very brilliant and very crazy, yeah. but uh, he's the only one who sort of died uh, with his pants on in yeah. this regard, right? Uh, he died, uh, you know, uh, holding his sword. If I may continue to mix my metaphors. But uh, the rest of them didn't. The rest of them failed out. Uh, and because it is, it's it's something you're going to fail out of. I am a personal believer in not trying to live completely in good faith, but trying to find alternatives to existential dread 
that you can say ethically are not going to harm other yeah. people. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it's, uh, I think the only real salve is like, uh, uh, producing a, a decent generation after yours. Right. No, yeah, no, that's nice. Look at that. That's, well, that's I don't because I well, of a soon to be. Well, I don't. I don't. That's, that's the thing is, is, I didn't want to limit it to like saying, well, only parents uh, are preparing. You know, like, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's important. You know, what's the old, the old say? It was a, a, a Mohawk saying, the seventh generation. You're, you know, that's what you owe. That's what you owe, right? Yep. In the way that you live your life, right? You got, you got to try to leave it in a little better shape. Uh, than we have. And here's the thing is like human beings have generally left the world in better shape than their ancestors had. Right. Uh, so keep on keeping on guys. You know, like we don't have to, we don't have to come to an end of history here. Do great stuff. I think, um, if people abandon the idea that there is an end of history, uh, when people start thinking about their lives as just being another phase of an ever changing reality that will go on long after the last human yeah. being has drawn its last breath i think that you start to avoid utopian yeah. concepts yeah. and uh, you get used to the idea that just doing things well is good enough yeah go to work and do your job um, well you know yeah. uh advocate for political candidates that you like but like don't go crazy don't don't make this a hobby look look how miserable uh, the two of us are you know? I know. This is what this is what like uh, multiple decades yeah. in politics will be to you. Yeah, you know, I was I'm, I'm reading this uh, biography of uh, Genghis Khan, uh, right. and, and sort of by proxy like the the Mongol Empire, uh, and to think about sort of like the the casual cruelty uh, that was expected by everybody. In that era, right? I don't just mean like Mongols were casually cruel, uh, but even if you were in the security of a state, like casual cruelty, casual terror uh, was the way that order was kept, right? And this is around the year like, you know, 1300 to 1400. Uh, a whole civilization of human beings like lived and died in this context, right? To understand the mindset of somebody that looks at where we are now. Uh, and says that like this is some sort of like negative utopia. It just it it staggers my mind. You know, <laughs> it's staggering. Like, like have you just have you never read about any previous generation before? Right. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. I mean, it was. It's almost within living. We are almost within living memory of a time in which people actually had to really worry about starving to death. And not just like children who are being neglected or the very, very old and sick, but like able-bodied people in the prime of their life had to worry about starving mm -hmm. to death. Yeah. Uh, I have to worry about uh, way too much calorie intake, <laughs> right? I have the opposite concern. Yeah. Uh, it's insane. Yeah. It's wacky. Yeah. Well, we got about, we got about uh, five minutes. Maybe we want to... We wanna... Uh, I'm almost done with Spider-Man, the new the Spider-Man game, you know. Uh, yeah. And I got I got to tell you, one of the biggest thrills of this game, right? Uh, we you were like a fan. Did you not read a lot of Marvel in the '90s? I run a ton okay. Of so Marvel. I just you remember didn't read a lot of. Do you remember? Do you remember Spider-Man 2099? Uh, yeah, ooh, the I future Spider-Man yeah, who's mean as shit. You can yeah. you can you can get hit. You can get that costume, right? 
which I played most of the game. Here's what blows my fucking mind is you can get pretty much like yeah. any costume. You can get the the spider noir costume, right? Nice. They didn't have the black costume. No, right? That's my favorite one. That's like it's a, it's like it's it's a the first time Spider-Man ever changed his costume, right? He had been right. uh, you know, Spider-Man and Spider-Man with the red and the blue and the the lines, right? It just it was a little weird, right? But for the most part, you know, if you're thinking about uh, getting into it, A, A, A minus. Yeah, it's good. A minus. It's a fun game. Bold. It's a little... Uh, and you said this one, this one isn't one of your VR No, games. I feel, oh my God, can you imagine? Like, web swinging in VR? You Jesus Christ. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I puke sometimes playing VR. The games that... Uh, I, I puked playing the new uh, uh, Wolfenstein 3D game. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because in the in the Wolfenstein three uh, you're it's got cyber pilot right so you don't actually it's a little disappointing you don't actually get a pilot like cool huge mechs uh, you're just they're you're they're drones and you're controlling them from like a little room right which is like listen I get it uh, like that's the way technology is moving or whatever but that is not fucking fun for a game I don't want to be like like there's no <laughs> there's no stakes at all right if I can't I'm not it's st- yeah. dumb, right? So th- there is one level where you're like uh, uh, inhabiting like a drone, but the drone is really small, so everyone's like really big when you're like flying around. It's f- idiotic. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, I have been playing only the almost exclusively the greatest game ever made, and that's Minecraft. Are you serious? And I, well, you know, Ugh. yes, I am a, a man of. I, I am deep in my 30s, right? But uh, I can sit down with my seven-year-old child and uh, we play on the same server and we play together uh-huh. and it is one of the most pleasant video gaming experiences I've I've seen people life. play it and I fucking don't get it. Uh, like you, you you build stuff or you, you mine stuff? Yep. I don't know, man. Well, there's zombies. You, you build things. Zombies come for you at night. You kill the zombies. You try to stay safe. You farm. You uh, you do some horticulture. Oh, uh, some husbandry. Cool. That's... Uh, you can get into a little alchemy. This, uh, uh, sounds really a lot like of exploration. A cool thing that you spend your time doing. Yeah. yeah, you're you're talking you're talking mad <laughs> shit. But I guarantee you, if you played it for twenty minutes, you'd be uh, hooked. But uh, no, yeah. it's great. I, it's the first video game that. That and like Mario Kart, you know, are the first games that I can play with yeah. my uh, youngest. Child. I guess I, I have it's, to. It's a nice. I have experience. to think about that, like, because all my games uh, have a, at least one animation yeah. of like head removal. Yeah. Right. Uh, you don't want to like throw your five-year-old into Mortal Kombat, right? You want to just like ease them yeah. in yeah. to the video game experience. So you know, Mario Brothers is obviously the introductory one for young children, and then Mario Kart. And then you go into things like Minecraft and uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, you'll be shocked at how uh, electronically savvy your child is. Well, I mean, they're, 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 they're digital really natives, right? We had, a, we had to learn everything. Yeah. Well, kind of. I got my first Nintendo. One of my yeah. earliest memories is being three or four years old and going to the mall with my mom and older brother so he could purchase the Nintendo. Uh, you know, I, my family were super late adopters. Like, my mother uh, refused to buy Nintendo. She didn't want to sit in front of a Nintendo, right? She, she did buy us, to her credit, an Atari 2600. 
Ooh, uh, big money. Which was awesome. And when Lionel Toys went out of business, I think, uh, <laughs> like, 1989 or something, uh, uh, they were sure. selling Atari 2600 games for, like, a nickel. <laughs> so we had... What? <laughs> ridiculous. So we had, like, 150 Atari 2600 games. Uh, but I didn't Amazing. get my... I didn't get a Nintendo until I was... Oh, 11 or 12 years old, right? We didn't have it long oh, before yeah, the Super Nintendo did. replaced it anyway. I think from the time of the NES forward, the first generation of consoles I have not owned is the current one. I haven't bought a PS4 yeah. or a uh, Xbox I skipped, One. This is the first generation. I, I skipped owned. the last generation. I skipped the... Uh... You didn't no, have I didn't have a PS3. I had a, an Xbox... And then I had an Xbox 360. Oh well, you were in the Was generation I, then. I, I bought it. I bought it like super cheap uh, after it had been out for a long yeah. time. And I think yeah. I only got it because I wanted to play uh, Injustice. That fucking that fucking mm. game ruled. God damn, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty good. And the second one was Fun. not as good. Uh, I never. Yeah, played the second, second one, one like they made it more complicated. It's like oh yay. <laughs> more complications that, everyone loves that just what I wanted out of my my yeah. casual DC yeah. fighter now I can change their costumes to you could like put weird armor on them like why the fuck does Superman even have armor man stupid uh, what's no that yeah, doesn't make any sense alright well uh, it has been a pleasure 